Welcome to the Bulgarian History Podcast, Episode 24, Looking Back on the First Bulgarian Empire, Part 2. Welcome to part two of the retrospective of the First Bulgarian Empire. Now, I'd like to start this episode by really thanking this month's Patreon supporters, the first Patreon supporters of the project. Now, I didn't really know how many of you would pledge. You know, it's kind of a shot in the dark, but I've been really, really happy by the support we've got so far. So within just these few weeks, we've got seven backers. They are Rasmus Anderson, Kalen Cross, Ivo Sotirov, Dian Atamyanov, Preston P., Leah Petrova, and Siri Oaklander. Thank you guys so much. And for your support, they are getting the uh, History of Bonsko miniseries, uh, some personal Sofia City tours, and a gourmet meal cooked by yours truly uh, when they're in Sofia. So everyone, get in touch. Uh, go ahead and pledge there and check out all the cool stuff you can get. All right, so let's get into it. So, uh, oh yeah, one, one last uh, quick announcement that uh, I mentioned on Facebook the other day, but I'd like to say that since I began tracking downloads for all these episodes this past September, which was uh, I think about two, almost two years after starting the podcast, but since then the podcast episodes have been downloaded a total of 50,000 times. So thank you guys so much. I mean, that's a huge, huge milestone for us. And uh, oddly enough, the biggest city of those downloads is Berlin. So I thought I'd also quickly mention that I'm going to be in Berlin on the 9th, 10th, and 11th of July. So if any of you several thousand listeners in Berlin would like to get in touch, just uh, send me a message and maybe we can grab a beer. All right, so back to the story. You remember last time we had the first half of this two-part series kind of recapping everything we've covered so far before we move into the Byzantine Interregnum. So... We left off last time with the, with Simeon suddenly rising to power in the aftermath of his brother's failed revolt to return Bulgaria to paganism. Now things got really serious for Simeon quickly because the Byzantine emperor started off with Europe's very first trade war by making it sort of impossible for Bulgarian merchants to operate in the empire. Then, when Simeon's embassies were ignored, he was more or less forced to invade to rectify the situation. So, at first, he met really no resistance. Most Byzantine forces were far away in the east. But diplomacy and geography came to play when the Byzantines allied with the Magyars, a tribe, the, the tribe that modern Hungarians are descended from, and they invaded Bulgaria from the north. Now, once he discovered this, Simeon left some forces to protect against the Byzantines and rushed off to the north, to the area around the Danube Bend, to face the Magyars. However, the Magyars were some of the fiercest warriors medieval Europe ever saw and defeated the Bulgarians twice before pillaging their lands. Still, after this peace was reached without any territory changing hands, a theme we'll see in Simeon's reign, it was Simeon's turn to use diplomacy and alliances to pick off his enemies. He reached a deal with yet another steppe tribe, the Pechenegs, to join forces and fight the Magyars. The campaign was decisive and defeated the Magyars, and were, who were forced to leave the steppe of what's now southern Ukraine and retreat to the Pannonian Plain, where their descendants happen to live today. Now, Simeon turned to the Byzantines again, wasting no time. 
He invaded and headed straight for Constantinople, brushing aside the army sent to stop him. Once at the city walls, he was then pushed back by armed Arab prisoners of the Byzantines. And he managed to get the Byzantines to then agree to a very generous peace treaty. So he didn't take Constantinople, but he got something out of it. The treaty gave him annual tribute, more territory, and sovereignty over Serbia. So it was a pretty good deal. From this point, Simeon routinely ignored the peace treaty, though. He bullied the Byzantines, took more land and gold whenever it was convenient for him. He still dreamed of taking Constantinople and making himself the new emperor of the Christian world. So, when the Byzantines refused to pay his tribute in 913, he gladly took the opportunity to invade. It was the perfect time. Arab pressure in the east had divided the empire's forces, and a lack of confidence in the young emperor led many inside his camp to push for a coup. The Byzantines were desperate, so, when the Patriarch of the Orthodox Church took over the government and begged for peace, Simeon agreed on, again, very generous terms, and lifted his siege of the city. In return for giving reprieve, he, wa- he received his lost tribute, a promise that the young emperor would marry one of his daughters, and that he would be given the title of emperor. Everything seemed to be going really well for Simeon, until yet another coup in Constantinople brought a new regent who immediately undid everything which had been agreed to in the treaty. I'm sure it hurt for that to happen to Simeon when he just sort of ignored the past treaty, but I guess that's karma. So this forced Simeon to, of course, invade again. He was only brought down from his invasion from with a series of sort of lavish gifts bestowed upon him. But this only stopped him from attacking Constantinople directly he still raided Byzantine territory as he pleased. But of course, peace was only ever temporary between the Bulgarians and the Byzantines. In 917, it was time for war again, as Simeon sought to create a larger anti-Byzantine alliance with the Pechenegs. But Byzantine gold won the day, and the Bulgarians fought alone. The Byzantines invaded, moving their army north along the Black Sea coast, keeping their ships and supplies close as they generally did. Outside of Anchialos, modern Pomorie, 120,000 soldiers, roughly half Bulgarian and half Byzantine, clashed in what would prove likely the largest battle of the entire Middle Ages. The result was a decisive Bulgarian victory. But Simeon still had a great Byzantine alliance arrayed against him to worry about. Except that the alliance quickly crumbled. One by one, the Pechenegs, Magyars, and Serbs all failed to materialize to fight Simeon's Bulgaria. The The Bulgarian army pursued the Byzantines nearly to the gates of Constantinople, winning battle after battle before returning home triumphant. Now, it was time for Simeon to turn his eyes to Serbia. If you'll recall, the recent peace treaty had placed Serbia under Bulgarian rule, and yet its prince had attempted to aid the Byzantines against the Bulgarians. The Serbian prince was captured and would spend the rest of his days in a Bulgarian dungeon in retribution for his betrayal. All the while, yet another coup in Constantinople shifted the political grounds under Simeon's feet yet again. Now, the new ruler there permanently closed Simeon's planned entrance into the royal family by marriage. 
War and conquest were now the only paths left for his ambitions. Simeon raided the southern reaches of Greece, even crossed into Asia along the straits. Before long, he was again at the gates of Constantinople. But still, he found himself unable to take the city, settling for farther brutal raids on its wealthy suburbs. But he still dreamed of conquering the queen of cities on the Bosphorus. But Simeon needed a navy, something the Bulgarians had just never resolved to invest in. The best one at his potential disposal was that of the Caliph of the Fatimids. The Arab forces agreed to this deal, that they would help the, the Bulgarians take the city. But once again, Byzantine diplomacy and gold managed to nip the nascent alliance in the bud and stop it before it could threaten them. But all this war was coming at a cost, not just to the Byzantines, but to Simeon and Bulgaria. His country was becoming exhausted because in spite of his victories, many were still willing to rebel against Simeon. They couldn't take the endless war. That rebellion came with Serbian support and was quickly put down, the leaders beheaded. The elites of Serbia were now dead and Bulgaria moved to completely annex the territory. Now this convinced Simeon that his dreams of taking Constantinople just could not be realized yet. He met the emperor and made peace, whereby Byzantium would pay a large annual tribute in exchange for the end of the fighting. But really, Simeon just couldn't seem to stop. He used this peace to turn around and make war on the Croatians under their famous King Tomislav. He won that war and prevented a possible Croatian-Byzantine alliance from threatening him. With this victory, he believed he had another chance to finally take Constantinople. But he died of heart failure in his new capital of Breslav in 927. Now, his reign saw a tremendous flowering of new Christian and Bulgarian culture. The foundations for the eventual Cyrillic alphabet were laid, and Bulgaria truly came into its own on the European stage. But Simeon's seemingly insatiable personal ambitions also bled his country dry. Decades of near-constant warfare had brought many victories, but those gains were not to last. Simeon's successors would have to keep fighting to the end to hold on to what so much blood had bought. In the end, they would fail. Now, his son Peter I became emperor, but with the regency owing to his young age. But in spite of all this, Peter still resolved to begin his reign with the sense that he had proven him, had to prove himself worthy of being his father's successor. And that, of course, meant war. So, Peter's reign kicked off with a quick strike into Thrace. Fortunately for him, it was successful, and Peter was able to quickly turn this into another advantageous peace against the Byzantines. Peace allowed him to marry Irene, the granddaughter of the emperor, to return Byzantine tribute and to gain recognition of the borders that he wanted, as well as Byzantine acceptance of his imperial title. Besides ruling Constantinople, it was just about everything his father Simeon had wanted. But success was never to last for very long. Because just three years later, Peter's brother Ivan or Ivan, continued his uncle's legacy and rebelled, though not for paganism this time. The rebellion was crushed and Ivan sent into exile. Then Peter's older brother Michael, 
who Simeon had forced into a monastery, decided that, well, monastic life was not for him. He escaped and led an even bigger rebellion against his brother. This also failed and resulted in Michael's death. Oh, but the setbacks didn't stop there. The Serbian prince escaped his dungeon and returned to his people and led them to independence against the Bulgarians. Magyar raids added to the difficulties as Peter no doubt felt beset from within and without by enemies. Still, somehow, following these decades, still, following these setbacks, Peter's reign saw about two decades of relative peace, and it was a beast Bulgaria desperately needed. A country, as we know, simply can't sustain decades and decades of war. You know, think about modern states. So think about Bulgaria in the 20th century or the United States following Iraq and Afghanistan. I mean, that's hardly comparable. A small percentage of the population fighting. Here you're talking about relatively large mobilization, huge armies of tens of thousands in a country that's not enormous. We can only begin to imagine what kind of impact that must have had on culture and society. I mean, we only have some idea. During this time, Bulgaria's young Christianity experienced some significant changes as a result of these pressures. Notably, the emergence of Bulgaria's most famous saint, uh, John of Rila, or Ivan Rilski, in addition to its most famous heresy, that of the Bogomils. This was a Christian sect which rejected nearly all worldly things and would eventually spread throughout Europe and challenge kings as far away as France. But in spite of these domestic problems, time passed until Peter's Byzantine wife Irene died, and the Byzantine emperor won a great victory over the Arabs. Together, these two events posed the perfect opportunity for the Byzantines to renew their conflict with the Bulgarians. So, in 966, the Byzantines stopped their tribute and diverted their funds instead to encouraging a new power to the north to attack Bulgaria. In the lands that were once home to Peter's ancestors three centuries earlier, the Kievan Rus had built a powerful state of their own. Promises of conquest and Byzantine gold brought their leader Sviatoslav at the head of an army of 60,000. The Rus found quick victories, one after another, so quickly and so completely that the Byzantines began to worry that their plan was in fact working too well. A series of marriages and exchanges of hostages between Byzantium and Bulgaria in fact brought a, pick, pick, a quick peace, while Peter managed to incite the Pechenegs to attack Kiev and force Sviatoslav to retreat. It seems like all the dangers were mitigated. Except not for long, because just a year later, the Rus returned and found even more victories over Peter's armies and fortresses. The stress got to him, and Peter suffered a stroke leading him to abdicate and become a monk, as his grandfather Boris had done. All the same, he died within a year. Now Peter's son Boris II came to power. But the poor boy didn't stand a chance against Sviatoslav and the Rus. He bent the knee to his new masters and ended up aiding them as they continued their campaign against Byzantium itself. But they were, their forces were stopped in 970 and pushed back by the Byzantines, who took the offensive. Soon, Preslav was under siege, defended by Bulgarians and Rus alike against a huge Byzantine army. Of course the city burned, and Boris II went from being a captive of the Rus to being a captive of the Byzantines. He was stripped of his imperial titles, 
his imperial treasury, his imperial lands. But the Byzantines only controlled the east of Bulgaria. That far mountainous wilderness of Macedonia remained independent and ready to fight for the idea of the Bulgarian state. One man, Count Nicola, a Bulgarian noble who married the granddaughter of an Armenian king, took charge of continuing the fight against the Byzantines in spite of their capturing the capital and the Tsar. They are now known, him and his children, as the Komotopoli, the sons of the Count, Nicola and his four sons, David, Moses, Aaron, and Samuel, stepped up to rule what was left of Bulgaria in place of that exiled emperor. Each of the four sons ruled a region of what remained. Now, during the first few years of this arrangement, they attempted to secure the protection and friendship of foreign powers, but no one seemed interested. In 976, the Byzantine emperor died and the four brothers decided to launch a full attack. Within a short time, two brothers were dead. David killed by nomadic vlachs, and Moses killed by a stone thrown during a siege in Greece. But Samuel was successful in retaking much of northeast Bulgaria straight to the Danube. Now, partly in response to these setbacks, a, re a rebellion in Anatolia brought civil war to the Byzantine Empire. So, they now had to turn to diplomacy to take the pressure off. Aaron, one of the two remaining sons, was asked for an alliance and promised marriage to the sitting emperor's brother. Sorry, sister. He agreed to betray his own brother in exchange for the alliance and sole rule over Bulgaria. However, the woman sent to marry him was not, in fact, the emperor's sister. And when this was discovered, well, Aaron wasn't exactly pleased. And yet, somehow... Aaron still agreed to the alliance with the Byzantines. When Samuel discovered his brother's betrayal, he rushed down and fought him near Dupnitsa. Samuel won completely, and only Aaron's son Ivan Vladislav was spared when Samuel's only son Gavril Radomir begged for his cousin's life to be spared. So it was. Now Samuel ruled of what remained of Bulgaria alone. So the Byzantines, unable to really resist Samuel at this point, tried a new tactic. They still held the last surviving members of the House of Dulo, Bulgaria's centuries-old monarchy, in their captivity. They thought that by releasing them, they could start a Bulgarian civil war. So they allowed Boris II and the Roman go. But in those six years of captivity, Boris had only ever had daughters, and Roman had been castrated by the Byzantines. So, what was to happen to them? Well, the end of their house. Because in 977, as Boris and Roman approached the Bulgarian border, Boris was mistaken for a Byzantine nobleman owing to his clothing and was shot by a border guard. Roman managed to prove his identity, but he couldn't have any children. So, Roman was proclaimed emperor nonetheless, but in truth he could never be anything more than a figurehead. There's no more children from the Dulo line. There's no one to carry it on. And so, with Roman, it would eventually end. And so, Samuel ruled, basically kind of as a regent. He ruled instead of Boris, but he basically kept running things. Now, Samuel continued his attacks at this point. He raided far south into Greece, laying siege to great fortresses. But the new Byzantine emperor, Basil, was ready to come back and fight back. And so he attacked 
some wheel while attacked while some wheel was in the south. But he failed at the siege of Sredets, modern Sofia, and lost a battle at Trajan's Pass, was forced to, to retreat. Now this defeat brought yet another civil war to the Byzantines. But even though this civil war was going on, Basil still sent armies to the Bulgarians. But they too were defeated by Samuel, who took more and more fortresses and territory. As it seemed, Bulgaria was on the rise again. But by 989, Basil was victorious over the rebels and prepared for a major counterattack in 991. This time, it was the Bulgarians who were defeated, as their erstwhile emperor Roman was captured. Yet again. Poor Roman would die in captivity six years later. But Samuel escaped and he kept fighting. Still, the Byzantines, they always had more fires to put out as the Arabs invaded to the east, and so it took some pressure off for a time. So Samuel advanced again, winning a huge victory at the Battle of Thessalonica. But soon afterwards, Byzantine and Bulgarian armies met again at a flooded river. The Byzantines crossed in secret, surprised the Bulgarians, and routed them utterly. Samuel barely managed to escape with his life, sustaining a wound in his arm he would carry for as long as he lived. His son, Gavriel Radomir, only escaped by pretending to, be, pretending to be dead amidst the carnage. The two had to walk 250 miles home. Now, Samuel feared yet another Byzantine alliance would start a war on multiple fronts that he couldn't hope to win. So, he turned to the Serbian principality of Duklia along the Adriatic coast. That campaign was a complete success, Duclia's prince, Jovan Vladimir, was captured and imprisoned in Samuel's island fortress at Lake Prespa. Samuel moved north along the Adriatic coast, taking fortress after fortress, except, of course, for proud Dubrovnik, before moving all the way into Croatia to attack there. Victories in Croatia allowed Samuel to put allies in charge before returning home. In the meantime, Marriages between his family members and the Magyars and the imprisoned Jovan and a captured Byzantine nobleman seemed to secure alliances throughout the region. Really, Samuel's position seemed very strong as the year 1000 came. But Basil, in fact, welcomed the new millennium even stronger. His rivals were defeated and he was ready to put the full force of the empire behind the destruction of Samuel and what remained of the Bulgarian state. In 1001, it began. The Byzantines quickly retook Pliska and Preslav, along with regions of northern Greece that Samuel had controlled. This latter conquest was easy, owing to a series of betrayals by Samuel's family and allies, who surrendered to the Byzantines easily. Now, some cities did resist, but they were still no match for Basil. To make matters worse, the Hungarians entered the fray against the Bulgarians in 1003. Samuel's son may have married into the family, but he also backed the wrong successor to the last king. The result was a devastating war against northeast Bulgaria, which further weakened the state. In the preceding years, Basil led his armies throughout Bulgaria, taking fortress after fortress and convincing one family member after another to betray Samuel. But the Bulgarians kept fighting, avoiding pitched battles when they could and watching their holdings diminish little by little. By 1014, it was obvious the situation couldn't last forever, and so Samuel planned a decisive engagement. The Bulgarians chose to make their uh, stand at Kluch, a mountain pass that the Byzantines would have to travel through. However, 
As they put, put themselves in this very easily defended position, somehow a Byzantine force found its way around the Bulgarians and surrounded them and slaughtered them. Around 14,000 soldiers were captured. 99 out of every 100 were blinded, with that last man losing only a single eye. This blind army of wretched men was led back to some wheel, whereupon seeing them, he soon died of a heart attack. His son, Gavriel Radomir, continued the fight, but within a year was killed by his cousin, that same cousin whose life he had begged his father to spare those years earlier. Now that cousin, Ivan Vladislav, attempted to keep fighting, but by this point it was hopeless. Within just a few years, he was killed in a duel while attempting to retake a city on the Adriatic coast. And that was more or less it. What remained of the Bulgarian nobility could see where things were going and all surrendered. After 337 years, the first Bulgarian empire died with a whimper and was absorbed into the Byzantine empire. Next time, We'll look at what happened to Bulgarian lands when they were incorporated into the Byzantine Empire leading up to the establishment of the Second Bulgarian Empire. Now this episode was written and produced by me, Eric Halsey. The theme music was written and performed by Teddy Raven and it's edited by Lance Nelson. Now be sure to like us on Facebook and leave us a review on iTunes as always. You can listen on SoundCloud, you can donate with the PayPal button or even better, hop on Patreon like I mentioned in the intro. As always, if you'd like to hear more about what's happening in Bulgaria these days, check out the Bulgarian Now podcast created by Lance Nelson. You can hear me, for example, give an audio tour of Sofia and discuss living in the city today. We just did an episode yesterday about kind of awesome trips and things to do in Bulgaria in summer. So if you happen to live there, really give that a listen. There are a lot of awesome tips for everything from restaurants to go to to places to visit. All right. So see you guys next time. And in the meantime, uspech or Good luck.